excited to be here at the unit because I think the work that's going on here that's kind of pushing disciplinary boundaries and transcending um, I think the gap between what happens by way of engaging with publics uh, and policy and various disciplines is really exciting and precisely what I think is needed in terms of thinking through some very complex issues around obesity right now and relatedly for me um, the practices and, and technologies that we use to promote the imperatives of keeping healthy, keeping thin within this culture and context um, of obesity prevention. Um, so just by way of background, thanks for the introduction Tess, um, just, just to add to that, so I work at the University of Bath and I'm part of a physical cultural studies group, so um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's um, a kind of interdisciplinary body of work looking at the kind of physically active body and in some ways it's emerged out of a critique of the focus only on sport within some of that literature so we look at much more um, diverse cultural contexts around physical activity that expand into um, and connect with issues around health and the imperatives around health so um, the work that we do there sort of spans all sorts of areas from uh, physical education, international development, urbanisation, um, and we have a strand of research which I'm going to talk, to, uh, talk about today, which is focused specifically on the role of digital health technologies in relation to, to physical activity. Um, just started a new project which is funded by the Wellcome Trust, so uh, the, the kind of thinking, emerging ideas that I'm working on that I'll present today is, is informing the framework that we're using for that project. And it's looking at how young people are engaging with particularly what I call healthy lifestyle technologies. So um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with those, but things like Fitbits, um, mobile health apps that we use to track our physical activity and diets and, and other aspects of our health. So we'll be mapping what young people are using and we're approaching that from, um, well, it's, it's interdisciplinary, so we're bringing together critical health studies, ethics and pedagogy. And that's really where my background is, it's um, in education and pedagogy. So I'm interested in how people are learning about health through these discourses of obesity and now increasingly through these new technologies. So that's a project with um, Deborah Lupton uh, in Australia at University of Canberra and Andy Meir who has a, a background in ethics at the University of, of Salford. So I'd be happy to answer questions about that. We'll talk more about the project um, at the end of the, the talk. So just by way of sort of introduction to what I want to try and do in this paper um, and my ongoing work, it's I guess really bringing together two bodies of um, research interests of mine um, and the first and, and both of these kind of um, emerged around in the mid-2000s started writing about the trend towards the what we call the medicalization of cyberspace so the use of the internet to make sense of our health and the way in which digital technologies were starting to change the medical infrastructure the way in which we diagnose the way in which we connect with others and the way in which we think about health through internet-based technologies. Um, at the same time, I was also doing a lot of work around uh, pedagogy and obesity. So how obesity policy was significantly shaping um, what we were seeing happening, particularly within schools. So my, my PhD earlier work was on uh, sociology of physical education. 
And what we started to see at that time were very high levels of um, disaffection amongst young people. Um, so we did some work with some young women with eating disorders and started to look at their schooling experiences. And there were some very strong connections between what was happening in school um, and what we call the kind of obesity discourse that was shaping what they were learning and how they were beginning to think about their bodies. And I think now we've reached a really important moment um, in terms of how we monitor, uh, undertake self-surveillance in relation to weight, which is being aided by the development of new technologies. And I think the way in which many people now learn about their health uh, is in some ways inextricable from the development of these technologies. And of course, you know, one of the first things we do when we have when we're ill is Google our signs and symptoms. And I think you know, that's a trend that's been happening for a long, long time. Um, but now we're seeing a real change um, in the capacities of these technologies. So that's what I want to talk about today. And there's sort of three, three key areas to the talk um, presenting how these technologies are creating body pedagogies that draw from and kind of reify some of those obesity imperatives. So the first thing I want to talk about is what I call humanist pedagogies. And these are the kind of nudge technologies that you see in public health education right now. Um, and there's the switch towards self-management and quantification, which lots of people are writing about right now. So Ben Williamson um, in Sterling, Deborah Lupton, a whole body of, of work emerging around quantification specifically and the, the pedagogies um, attached to that. And I think the, the interesting thing for me is the way it privileges um, data and rational knowledge and rational learning. Okay, so I'm interested here in the learner subject. How do these technologies position us as learning through health education? And it's a very humanist notion that's being implied through the positioning of these technologies. Um, the second is what I'm, I'm sort of talking around algorithms, algorithmic pedagogy. So the capacity for the collection of big data, um, which takes place in real time. And I think there's two interesting things to that. The first is that it provides feedback, ongoing feedback, and it changes our relations um, to our bodies and self. Um, and the second is the expectation around what type of learners we are. So it's not just about the expectation to um, act in a healthy way and comply with these imperatives, but also now an imperative around what type of learners we are and that these algorithmic knowledges um, implore us to look inside ourselves okay, and use that data to understand our health. Um, and then thirdly, I want to sort of argue for a more relational understanding of pedagogy in these contexts. So um, the premise here, of course, is that we, we can't really separate the human and the non-human in these environments. And, and really, rather than looking at the technology itself, it's about the capacities of these digital technologies as they emerge in these contexts. And this means we can start to think about the body and of, as technology as having agency and capacity to resist and subvert some of these technologies. Um, so I'll move on to sort of talk about some of those post-human approaches around digitality. Um, so just, I won't spend too long on this, I'm sure most of you are familiar with, with these digital health technologies, but they're they're really high on the agenda right now in terms of um, health policy and the, 
the focus on preventative healthcare. So the switch towards you um, managing your own health and using these technologies as a way to reflect on and modify uh, your behaviour. And they're very celebrated, I think, in much of the, certainly the digital health policies, but also, you know, if you think about recently, the NHS apps library. So they're being seen as a solution uh, to a kind of overburdened healthcare system that's in crisis. So it seemed to bring efficiencies and it seemed to bring about kind of preventative, participatory um, management of your own health. So um, some of what we've been writing about in relation to this is the need to think about these technologies as, firstly, from a critical perspective, um, but also in terms of what I refer to as, as public pedagogy. So I'll talk more about that work shortly. Um, but specifically about what we're learning about our bodies through self-tracking and quantification. And I think you know, these, these technologies are advancing at such a rate that they're becoming smaller and much more sensitive. So there is a focus on um, that relationship with the body, wearable technologies, rather than going online and, and searching for something, the, the sort of prosthetic that they become part of us and function as if they were part of um, our bodies. So that again, lots of other work emerging around this. Dawn Nafus has a, a book just out around quantified biosensing technologies in everyday life. So I think this is really starting to capture more critical perspectives. And I think one of the kind of emerging ethical issues around this is the use of these technologies. So many people use them voluntarily, um, but they're also being used by organisations parents, um, employers to track others. So there's a shift towards you know, the expectation that you're self-managed towards using these technologies to track others. So this is the first um, sort of physical activity tracker that's targeted at uh, four to seven-year-olds. Okay, so you can imagine the kind of ethical questions around um, you know, consumption practices and how young people um, are, are starting to use these from an increasingly younger age. So again, this was part of our interest in terms of the Wellcome Trust project in understanding how young people navigate these environments, what they've seen as um, reliable information, and how they end up using them. So I think there's an interesting um, set of questions to ask around organisations, networks, and how people are using these technologies on the bodies of others. <coughs> and how that becomes legitimated through some of these um, discourses. So this connects, I think, really with the preventative focus um, of healthcare in relation to um, the work that I've been doing for a number of years now around pedagogies of obesity. And you know, there's a, a growing body of work by numerous scholars from critical weight studies, uh, critical health education, fat studies which argue that the imperatives, the moral, the moral language that's used in the way that we think about obesity is problematic for many people. Um, and the work by Jan Wright um, and Valerie Harwood, so we, we've conducted some research across Australia, New Zealand and the UK, looking at the effect of these pedagogies within schools. And many young people are um, negatively affected by some of the practices and messages that they hear in schools and can trigger um, certainly sort of disaffected relationships of, of the body and with, with food and, and physical activity. So 
there's been numerous educational concepts that have been used to understand the, the impact of those pedagogies. Um, so a number of authors have examined what's called the prescriptive biopedagogies produced through these discourses, providing normalising and moralising instructions for life. Within the context of an obesity crisis, fat continues to be framed as both problematic but also correctable through appropriate and urgent action. And the emphasis on personal responsibility places, of course, the onus of change on individuals and often parents in the battle against obesity. So Jan Wright has used Foucault's concept of biopower and governance um, to look at the regulation of individuals and populations through practices associated with the body um, developing the term biopedagogies used to describe the normalising and regulating practices in schools and disseminated more widely through the web and other forms of media. So we can see how these sort of two um, trends, if you like, and, and focus within healthcare, the sort of public health focus on obesity um, and the emergence of digital health technologies as a solution, draw on the same kind of logics around prevention kind of neoliberal thinking around the body. Um, so I think for me it's re really interesting to think about how this operates, not just within schools, but within public spaces. So I think, you know, in terms of uh, public health and health education, there's a lot that we can take from this in terms of the pedagogical literature around um, obesity. Um, I don't have time to get into this in a great deal of detail, but that move towards thinking about popular culture as pedagogy, um, we also need to be cautious of how we think about pedagogy when theorising this. And one of the critiques among some of the public pedagogy scholars right now is that public pedagogy is seen as encompassing everything and anything. So for me, it's really about beginning to really focus in on how educational sites and practices actually work to teach the public. So sort of critiquing the notion of going beyond socialisation, if we like. Um, so that sort of brought about my interest in thinking about how discourses of obesity actually get translated, um, or the term that I might use would be recontextualised as well, through these digital health environments. And we're beginning to think about this sort of leading up to the Wellcome Trust project, um, so my work with Andy Mir, thinking about this through the lens of public pedagogies. So just a few words around cautions of public pedagogy and how we're using that. Um, and although really it's in need of theoretical refinement, um, and there's a field of public pedagogy literature, but it's, um, it's contested, um, in terms of the conceptual parameters. That said, public pedagogy broadens the focus of pedagogy beyond traditional sites, such as schools and universities. Building on some of the earlier work of Henry Giroux, public pedagogy, according to Sandlin um, et al., is concerned with educational activity and learning in extra-institutional spaces and discourses, including digital spaces. But whilst there's a proliferation of these studies, as Freistadt and Sandlin observe, there's still a limited body of work exploring the public pedagogies of technologically mediated spaces. So in addressing this gap, our ongoing work 
is looking at the educative force in the management of bodies and weight through new digital health platforms. And we're conceptualising these as sites of social practices through the exercise of body pedagogies. And these come to define the significance, value and potential of particular bodies in time, place and space. Um, however, we're also mindful, as I've said, of um, Gaston Bedi's Fernandez work around this critique that we have to be careful that we don't attempt to capture um, anything and everything remotely educative as pedagogical. Um, and I think their work's quite instructive, really, in terms of helping guide me through um, what we might focus on in this work and looking at the desires, intentions and conditions that produce them as pedagogy. Um, and you know, talking around this idea of the intentions and desires for particular kinds of shifts in subjectivity. And I think that really um, connects with the intentions through which digital health technologies are positioned, you know, that shift towards particular subjects and subjectivity, and also in terms of um, obesity discourse. So the first um, area that I want to talk about is, is the way in which these technologies draw on a, a humanist notion of pedagogy, um, and particularly in relation to this focus on the promotion of knowledge and self-management behaviours that privilege um, body pedagogies and notions of self in relation to weight. Now, these weight loss technologies have a variety of functions, so um, they might involve self-tracking, or you might have goals that you need to, to reach, and quite often they involve um, giving dietary advice or physical activity advice. Uh, data can be shared through social media and um, involves reward systems. But I think what's particularly interesting is the use of um, particularly wearable technologies that operate in real time using sensors or other technologies. Users are promoted, um, sorry, prompted via sounds or vibrations to either act for example, stand up after a period of inactivity, or alerted when a certain goal or target has been reached, for example, the number of steps that you've taken in a day. Other technologies are designed to help navigate what's being called within public health, the choice architecture of your environment that you're confronted with um, in your everyday life. So the new uh, Change for Life app is a good example of that. So um, you use the, the scanner on your phone um, and you look at the barcode of a product and it will nudge or guide you towards selecting the right or wrong products by telling you how much sugar, fat and salt is contained in any given product to help you make healthier choices. So I think these practices for me are examples of nudge pedagogies characterising the user of the technology as both the rational consumer who chooses to take responsibility for their health by engaging or purchasing those technologies or apps, but also as one who is often unable to make the right choices. The design and functioning of these digital technologies and their associated data practices draw on a kind of foundational understanding of educational activity, to use the words of Burdick and Sandlin. So it targets the self, or more specifically, the Western notion of the self as developmental, autonomous and rational, as the object of pedagogical and curricular energies. 
So they operate on a kind of binary construction of knowledge, separating out the human and the non-human and implying a simple process of transference. So pedagogy is transference. But at the same time, the employment of these nudge techniques, as Scholl observes, both presupposes and pushes against freedom. It assumes a choosing subject, but one who is constitutionally ill-equipped to make rational, healthy choices. These digital practices operate through a binary construction of knowledge between human and non-human, and processes of transference reflecting a modernist orientation of pedagogy and pedagogical forces. In the words of Burdick and Sandlin, it valorises the learned self as a consumer of educational content, with the aim of affecting a certain in intended disposition within individuals. So that takes me back to this sort of opening point around pushing the subjectivity um, of a particular individual. And this also meets the imperatives of obesity discourse, I think. Um, so the programmes of activity, the dietary advice, the prompts to move, all assume that users are in some way deficit of knowledge and need to be nudged in the right direction. And therefore that corresponding behaviour change will take place. So I think, you know, for me, hearing about the work that's going on here at the unit around um, the, the effectiveness of particular uh, public health approaches, you know, we can see the limitations of this notion of transference and behavioural deficit within these uh, technologies. In this regard, I think regulatory and disciplinary practices still remain, but new techniques of learning about agency are presented through these digital practices. Individuals are positioned as responsible for taking up digital data practices, but the capacity to choose the morally correct behaviours are seen as both a problem and solution to be worked with. These prompts are pedagogical enactments that persuade or nudge people towards particular behaviours. So technologies teaches the users of these apps that their bodies are both transgressive but also fixable and correctable. They're transgressive in the sense of not meeting the expectations of normative, fit bodies according to data norms, but correctable if they act in accordance with the pedagogical guidance and take up particular biopolitical practices, so the guidance around dietary advice or physical activity that you should then do. So just a, an example of that, um, choose this, not that. So these are the kind of typical apps that we're seeing around obesity prevention. Um, and very much about actionable information on what is good and what is bad. And I think this is probably one of the most worrying examples of these apps that I've seen. Um, anybody heard of this? This is Carrot Fit, very popular. Um, but it, it's quite explicit about using shame and disgust to nudge you into being physically active and complying um, with the expectations of uh, the guidance that pro is provided um, through this particular technology, and lots and lots of people use it. Um, so I think one of the most sort of worrying examples of um, those nudge technologies being employed. And you know, quite clearly here we can begin to see how um, these really are questions of affect, and you know, going back to the start of the talk around the relationality that we have 
you know, and these, this is not about um, the particular technology, but the capacity it has in those relational moments to bring about those affects and the capacity that, that they have. Um, okay, so the, the kind of humanist notion is then built on um, in terms of the algorithmic pedagogies that are employed uh, as part of these new technologies which differ from the kind of cyberspace, internet-based technologies that we saw a few years ago. Um, and I think, you know, bodies have long been obviously subject to, to surveillance and self-surveillance, even through things as, as simple as um, scales to weigh ourselves. But what's different about these is the capacity for ongoing endless amounts of data to be captured on and through our bodies through uh, these new new designs that are, as I say, smaller and more sensitive. Um, so in some ways we could argue that this, this level of surveillance has increased and enhanced and, and changed in some ways. And they're used through analytical processes. Okay, so we capture large amounts of data and, and this is automatically um, transferred or changed in some form towards data norms. We can visualise that data so we can track how much we've been exercising. Um, and as Lupton argues, we can exteriorise and map the body. So through these algorithms, data is transformed in such a way that can not only be visualised, but then provides feedback to the user via expert advice, which is informed by biosciences. These teach individuals about self-quantification as part of a sort of biological strategy towards individualised health. And I think these cast a new sort of biological expectation about the sorts of relations that, with the body that we are expected to develop as healthy subjects. So there's an expectation not only to learn the practices of the body, but to demonstrate that one is actively learning about one's interior body, even things like heart rate um, and the sort of new things that we can measure that weren't previously available to us. So users are positioned as learners who are to engage in appropriate everyday activities and digital practices to develop knowledge not only of the self, but of processes and dynamics of our internal bodies. Analytical processes encode the body as data, which can be compared against other classifications. So there's a sort of implicit um, construction here that devices are in some ways untainted bearers of truth um, and bodies as pure objects of information, as Smith and Vontheff um, argue. So it's bringing about a particular type of, uh, of learning and knowledge, um, but also assumptions about the role of these technologies. They're sold on the promise that they circumvent human error or interpretation to render intelligible, otherwise invisible gaps. So health becomes knowable, not necessarily through our bodies and what we feel and experience, but increasingly through the collection, visualisation of data, and that's then classified against these, these data norms. So we can see here, I think, this sort of process of becoming the visualisations are often accompanied by suggestions about what we need to do to correct our bodies. So training plans or dietary advice which shape the conduct of the user of these apps or Fitbits. 
Wearable technologies produce particular practices through which the users are offered training in self-care. They are pedagogical enactments of conventional biopedagogical interventions that conflate moral with medical values in teaching what bodies should be, to use the words of um, Rice 2015. Their emergence is part of a wider assemblage within which contemporary discourses of obesity um, sh- are shaped by biosciences and infused with moral codes and then interconnect with these data practices. So it's not that somebody who uses these technologies is already overweight, but through the process of um, co- co-construction and engaging with these technologies, they become overweight and defined in relation to these thresholds and data norms. So within these assemblages of data practices, measurement practices um, and the pedagogies, there is an expectation that one is to optimise the body through using self-trap data and forms of feedback. And I think these theories of becoming help us to understand the learning processes and the relationship with the body's open-endedness becoming or emerging in these digital assemblages. In in this sense, according to Rice, bodies do not come to be before their interactions, but emerge through their interacting. And it's through this process that, in terms of the the so what of this, I think there are some real risks um, that these data is seen as the kind of machinic insight to truth about the body. Um, and it's a project that, in that sense, particularly, um, and we've seen this with young people's uptake of um, body pedagogies in school and their thinking about health, is that it becomes limitless. The body is seen to be constantly at risk, so there's an expectation to continually accrue data about our bodies. Body pedagogies require not only work on the body, but also investment in the appropriate services <coughs> and technology that can provide an authenticity by access to the interior, a pedagogy that demands a kind of understanding and insight into the self, which, according to Swan, is not possible with ordinary senses. The danger is that data become seen as machinic insights to truths about the body. So our thinking, feeling, acting, agentic body becomes in some ways untrustworthy and unreliable. So I think there's some interesting things to explore there in terms of the body as matter and as agency and how it might resist or subvert some of these technologies. So that brings me to the sort of final part of the the thinking through the pedagogy um, and the sort of pedagogical force of these, uh, the capacities of these technologies and, and arguing really for a more relational understanding of how they might function. The introduction of these data categories and their biopolitical practices, for example, suggested training programmes to lose weight, does not, however, lead to a simple corresponding uptake and adherence to the expectation of these body pedagogies. And we see this a lot with um, other health campaigns where we, you know, the expectations of knowledge Um, deficit knowledge if we simply provide information and nudge people that we'll see a corresponding change in behaviour. And to assume that we could or that that would happen um, is in some ways reifying a conception of a conceptualisation of pedagogy as involving the simple transference of knowledge. 
Our position broadly corresponds, so the work that I'm doing with Andy Muir, corresponds with the work of Hickey Moody et al., who remark that a sophisticated notion of pedagogy does not assume a simple movement of norms from society to individual. Instead, norms can be examined as they are developed and contested. So in this regard, learning is not a simple process of engaging in the transfer of knowledge through these technologies, but it's a pedagogical enactment through digital encounters, which might, according to Rice, limit possibilities for their bodies. So it takes us back to this notion of, of capacity. The implications of this for how we understand body pedagogy um, are captured here in the work of Burdick and Sandlin in thinking about relationality as pedagogy. So a much more complex understanding of learning um, and our engagement or relationships with, with these technologies. Users of digital health technologies are not bounded singular subjects, but rather their entanglements are part of a constant and ongoing process, not just with other sub subjects, bodies and spaces, but also with and through digital technology that pervades their everyday life. And I'm sure Tess, you know, you'd have some interesting things to say about the notion of how that pervades the every, every day based on your, your ongoing research. Um, in this vein, alongside the focus on the content and curriculum of digital health pedagogies, so the types of things that we're seeing around the instructional and regulative discourses of, for example, digital health policies, or the approach that the NHS might take, um, we also need to consider the pedagogical relations that frames people's experiences of health within these digital environments. So one way of thinking about this is I think that the digital body dis, what we call disjunctures. Um, and the focus on what Massey describes as the relational constructedness of things, which has important imp implications for how we understand human technology encounters within broader cultures of obesity where body stigma is rife. Many people turn to digital technologies to address a gap between their embodied selves and the new understandings that are being presented to them through popular culture and, and health education um, around what it means to be the healthy subject, the healthy individual. Individuals are expected to have good knowledge of the risk factors of obesity and comply with expert notions of what constitutes appropriate self-care. In, how, in terms of how we might conceptualise this through pedagogy, the work by Wright and Sandman um, is instructive here, drawing on the, the earlier work of Jarvis. They point to the importance of disjunctures. When disjunctures arise in our learning or living in this age of information, the desire to reconcile new experiences and information, which are often the result of engaging with media technologies and the other public pedagogies in the first place, will often lead adults to seek resolution, new understanding and meanings through entertainment, news media, the internet, books, social media, film, and other resources. So that's the kind of public pedagogies that um, you know, scholars like Jennifer Sandin and, and others will be um, focusing on. And I think these disjunctures are quite clear to see in terms of the expectations of um, health education, health promotion, and uh, the inequalities, relationalities um, of people's lives and lived, lived experience. 
And there's a disjunction, a number of disjunctions are apparent in what Dumit refers to as a double insecurity, which I argue is manifest in obesity discourse, of always being at risk while never knowing enough about what one could and should be doing. And that, I think, captures for me that notion of young people's uh, interpretation of health as limitless. How do I know when I'm, when I'm healthy? Which can trigger, I think, quite disaffected and, and negative relationships with the body and, and self. The wearable technolo technology industry and digital health policies utilise this as users become, as Scholl observes, unsure whether to trust their own senses, desires and intuitions as they make mundane yet really vital choices, when and what to eat and drink, leading them to the sort of nudge technologies that were described earlier. In doing so, digital health tech is positioned as being able to fill this knowledge deficit by making everyday choices easier and in doing so, largely overlooks the relationality of people's experiences of their bodies. Such approaches are again underpinned by humanistic assumptions, um, pedagogies that privilege models of knowledge transition and position and constitute the individual through rational subjectivity. But the effective relationality between data, the user and the body is complex. Data is not neutral, nor does it tell a sanitised, truthful, authentic story of the self. Instead, subjects, as um, researchers such as Smith and Von Theff are now starting to document, generate stories for and about the body or self to address that disjuncture in their lives. There is a mutuality, relationality, entanglement as someone becomes fat, thin, overweight, at risk, or meeting the targets of suggested exercise regimes. Quantification and coding of data about bodies are entangled with sensorial knowledges in ways that co-produce particular practices. In these relationalities, further disjunctures might therefore emerge, whereby the signals and sensations of the body in sensorium, Smith and Von Theoff, might be at odds with the truth of data-driven knowledge. So this leads us to asking questions about how the sensing-feeling body could lead to some distrust in terms of our relationships with, for example, quantification of our bodies. Tensions could emerge, for example, between an exercise app and the sort of affective experience of how it feels to be moving and running, of trauma, of fatigue, of stigma. So we can begin to think about the in-between and otherwise in terms of the experiences of these technologies. The data disjunctures where the capacities of the moving body undermine assumptions about their bodies and fitness. So for example, people who are defined as overweight by these technologies might be living healthy, uh, very mobile, very active lives and experience pleasure. And this might be at odds with the data reading and truth of their bodies. So I think this brings us to opportunities for learning about the in-between and otherwise, which might really speak back to um, health policy and behavioural programmes. Understanding pedagogy in this way means there is potential for the bodies of users to become something different. For example, what happens where bodies are measured as fat through digital te technologies, but people engage with high levels of physical activity? 
How might this disrupt the norm of fat as unhealthy and fit? Furthermore, we need a stronger focus on users' experiences of digital health from the perspective of being a learner. So that's partly what we're looking at in this Welcome Trust project. So drawing on the work of post-structuralist philosopher and bioethicist Marguerite Schildrick, Rice uses the term embodied ethics, which further communicates the intermingling of embodied selves in human interactions, capturing the idea that we are independent um, rather than contained, separate selves who affect, influence and shape each other. Accordingly, this exploration speaks to a kind of digital ontology of weight through which people understand their bodies uh, and, lead, and comes to lead to particular actions. As Ruckenstein observes, the way in which people confront and engage with visualised personal data are as significant as the technology itself. And the process of reimagining or subverting these technologies was, for me, vivid, vividly brought to my attention um, after I gave a talk at a weight stigma conference, which was, you know, critiquing um, the sort of surveillance capacities of these technologies. And um, somebody who works as a, a, within the fat studies community um, actually contacted me after the event and shared a really interesting experience where she downloaded and used regularly a weight loss app, not, as she says, as a diet intervention, but it actually worked in a more subversive way um, because when she faced the everyday stigma of being overweight, those comments for her meant that in her mind she was ballooning bigger and bigger and bigger than she, she actually was. So she used that notion of truth and authenticity of the, the digital app to help her manage the stigma and her own self-perception of herself. So I think for me that's you know, a really nice illustration of that in-between and the capacities for digital technologies to do different things in relation to other bodies. It frustrates conceptions of biopedagogies of digital technology as ultimately surveillance and disempowering in any absolute sense. And I think we need further research to examine the complex relationalities of these digital tools, moving beyond a critical analysis of content and towards the relationalities of, um, that produce them as pedagogies. And this means a focus on the sentient experiences of engaging with wearable and mobile health technology, and as Burdick and Sandlin argue, the intersection of the subject and object of pedagogy, the relational meanings that are generated via active, sensate, embodied interactions. About quarter two, so I'll, I'll wrap up there, Tess, is it? Yeah. Okay, so just to conclude then, I think um, really for me, you know, this is an ongoing area of work, but I'm trying to bring together um, the way in which digital technologies play a really significant part, I think, in the emergence of unhealthy, unfit, fat bodies. And the interplay of that corporeality, digital practices, um, biosciences and the knowledges around that uh, and the cultural messages through which data is interpreted. Okay, so how, we, how do we make sense of the data, the vast amounts of data that are produced through our engagement in these technologies? And there are a number of areas of further research emerging from these discussions. 
I think firstly there's a need to understand the narratives that we construct as a result of these assemblages um, as subjects as we become overweight, um, inactive or defined as unhealthy particularly where there might be, for example, these disjunctures between data practices and sentient knowledges. And I think increasingly, as I said earlier, these technologies are being used um, by younger people, um, and there are some, some issues around how those technologies are used on others. So increasingly now, they're being employed by schools to track and monitor young people's levels of, of physical activity. So there's, I think, some interesting ethical questions about what happens to that data, um, issues of consent and um, even when young people do use those technologies do they understand where their data goes both in terms of sharing it online and social media um, but also in terms of sort of third party involvement and the use of that data for other purposes. We need a more nuanced understanding as well I think of the way in which subjects online or in virtual settings come into relationship with each other in ways that constitute some kind of pedagogical activity. So one of the features of these technologies is that um, you engage in social networking or sharing of information, which typically is quite private, um, and where it's either automatically uploaded onto websites or Twitter or other social media, um, or we choose to do that through actually sharing or uploading information. And I think there's some really interesting questions again to ask. I know this some work going on around obesity and, and Twitter, um, but that relationality in terms of how other people come to um, make sense of our statements about ourselves, whether we've been for a run, how much we've eaten, so all the kind of confessional and affective relationalities around that. So this has brought to the form the kind of subjective and relational framing that constitutes the pedagogical encounter. And there are multiple and intersecting pedagogical forces at play here. And it challenges the conception of pedagogical force operating within the context of a simple location. We need to be careful of the tendency towards only seeing these technologies as surveillance. Um, and public pedagogy and digital environments can thus bring together theoretical accounts of the production of knowledge alongside the mobilisation of affect desire, shame, guilt, uh, and other things that we might experience. So just to conclude, I think there are multiple articulations of power that, might, that we might consider within these contexts. And our point here is that um, in the earlier paper with Andy Meir back in 2014, I think, you know, just to conclude, we would argue that this digitality complicates and frustrates exploration for how pedagogy actually operates. Thank you.